0: The best way to learn grammar is to do it in a language which is not your own language.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Arts of Language podcast with Andrew Poudois, founder of the Institute for Excellence in Writing, or as many like to say, IEW, My name is Julie Walker, and I'm honored to serve Andrew and IEW as the Director of Marketing. Our goal here is to equip teachers and teaching parents with methods and materials which will aid them in training their students to become confident and competent communicators and thinkers. Today's podcast, Andrew, is one that I know our listeners have either been looking forward to hearing or have been a little loath to listen to. And that is, we're going to talk today about grammar and more specifically how learning Latin can help students understand
0: grammar. That is uh, sometimes a question we get. Mm-hmm. Do I have to teach Latin? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> let this let this cup pass from me <laughs> right. type of feeling. yeah. And
1: we also get questions from our listeners, from our customers who say, do you sell Latin? Do you sell a Latin curriculum? Well, we don't.
0: We don't. We don't. And of course, we're trying to sell mostly the things we publish, that we produce. And there are many fine options for the study of Latin. I'll probably mention a couple of those. Huh?
1: Right. So let's just back it up a couple notches and just ask the question, what is the best way to study grammar?
0: Well, I think in the podcast on grammar, which we did before, I talked about inherent grammar, which is acquiring that language database through, mostly environmentally, through being read to, memorizing poetry, the quality of language you speak. And that is by far the most important thing. So the inherent grammar, that really is what is going to make your writing, speaking and writing aptitude down line. Then of course there's kind of the applied grammar and that's more in the category of, okay, you can hear something or read something and you can fix it. You, you know, it's not right and you know what to do to make it right. And so that that's kind of an editing type of skill. Mm-hmm. And of course we have our wonderful fix it program mm-hmm. that is more and more we're hearing from people, the best thing out there for that purpose. Then we get into the analytical side of grammar. Let's learn all those things. What are they called? What are the rules that govern their behavior? What are the anomalies in a certain language? And, of course, it can be very technical, although the amount of grammar that most competent literate people know isn't all that great. Right. But it it is one of those things. You could go study it for a long, long time. And I think one of the things that frustrates people is they tend to think about grammar the same way they would think about math, hmm. right? There's these rules, and they're consistent, and they work, and oh, no. Now there's an exception. Now there's a change. Well, now it could go this way or that. Well, how do you even know? Right. It's not black and white. It's not cut and dry. And that tends to frustrate mm-hmm. some people. The way around that is to say, Grammar is an art. It's actually the first of the liberal arts. Hmm. Right? Right. The, yep. the trivium, grammar, logic, rhetoric. And the thing about art is there's always more than one way to do something. Right. You might play a piece on the piano a certain <laughs> way.
1: <laughs> assuming I could play the piano. And then
0: I might play it, same piece, same mm-hmm. notes, mm-hmm. but with with different nuances, with different emphasis, even with a different tempo or rhythmic changes. So we would interpret the notes kind of like here's the rules, and it could be interpreted in many different ways. So Mm -hmm. if we kind of draw that parallel between art that has a fluid variable expressions and grammar, then that helps the legalistic types kind of relax.
1: Right. And actually, I'm just thinking about the legalistic types and maybe they're self-identified grammar Nazis. And they're having a problem right now with what you're saying. What do you mean I can just (laughs) relax? That comma needs to be there or that particular subject-verb agreement is not consistent. I mean, there's there's a place that's right and wrong, but there's also a place for...
0: Certainly. There's certain things that... Clearly, are. Same thing with music or art. There's mm-hmm. certain things you clearly should not do if you want the thing to be, to still be music or mm-hmm. art. Right. One grammar joke that comes to mind I got a t shirt mm-hmm. for Christmas from my grandson. Okay. <laughs> who's, who's three at okay. the time. So I don't think he chose it. So from your daughter, really. <laughs> yeah. But it, on the front it says, Let's eat grandpa. And on the back, it says, let's eat, comma, grandpa. And then it says, (laughs) commas save lives.
2: Exactly. (laughs) So,
0: yes, clearly there are circumstances like that. But when you go kind of past that grammar Nazi idea, and you want to understand language more deeply, Mm -hmm. then that's really the benefit of the study of grammar. And of course, as I said in the other episode, the best way to learn grammar is to do it in a language which is not your own language. Hmm. Mm -hmm. You grow up speaking English. You speak English perfectly, effortlessly. You've done so since you're about six or seven years old. Right. You may not have any idea how you do it, but you don't need to.
1: Right. It's like you're learning to ride yeah, a bike analogy.
0: Exactly. You know, when you say to a, a 10-year-old child, sit down, I'm going to teach you English grammar, how you speak English. It, it's a little bit like saying, I'm going to teach you how you ride a bike. Um, Dad, I know how to ride a bike. Yes, you do, but you don't know how you do it. Mm-hmm. You need to learn all of the physics and biology that make bike riding possible. <laughs> of course, the kid's thinking, uh, what is the point? Can I just go ride my bike? hmm but when you get to a foreign language, that is when the whole perspective shifts. Right. That's when you don't know how to do it already. You don't know what are those things called, what are the rules in this language that govern their behavior. And if you don't know those things, you can't read or hear and understand or write In that other language. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people get their first taste of that, maybe with Spanish in high school. Mm, A lot of us kind of slept through most of high school. (laughs) But for me, it was Japanese. Right. Because I lived in Japan three years. I started studying the language as an adult, seriously. And I started learning more English grammar than I think I ever knew, Mm -hmm. just because I had to now identify parts of speech and put them in particular places to construct a sentence that had the meaning that I wanted. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then, of course, later on, I had the conviction that I had to teach Latin because there was no one else around to do it. Right. And you are in a similar situation with your boys, right? Right.
1: Yes, I actually, my oldest son, we did four years of Latin homeschooling, and I did have help from the co-op teachers and the program that we were enrolled in. But, yeah, I learned a lot of Latin kind of secondhand, and so when I hear you talk about it, I'm not sure if I rejoice or groan.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's funny. I did a a different podcast for someone Mm -hmm. else earlier today. And Mm. he asked me, what are your hobbies? Do you Mm. have any hobbies? (laughs) Let's see. I don't hunt. I don't fish. I don't climb mountains. I don't really do anything. But I I do a few things I don't get paid for. And one of those is teach Latin. So it must be my hobby. There's your hobby. (laughs) You can kind of start to get this experience of a better understanding of your own language by studying any other language. Mm Mm-hmm. But I do think that Latin is one of the best, if not the best.
1: From what I understand, your story is that you attended a conference talk, and there were 10 reasons why you should study Latin as opposed to any other foreign language. I'm not sure that we have time or if you remember all 10 of those things, but I think that would be helpful for us to at least mention some of them.
0: I probably don't remember all 10, but you can certainly read Mm -hmm. Cheryl Lowe's article Mm -hmm. at Memoria Press, the top 10 reasons for studying Latin. I kind of have my own take on that when I talk to people. Right. And it kind of goes like this. Number one, Latin is kind of like the constitution for English. Mm. We have mostly Greek and Latin, and Latin essentially derived its grammar in many ways from Greek. And that's the core of English. And then we have Anglo-Saxon and a little German and who knows what else Mm -hmm. all mixed in. But Latin forms the core of English and, of course, French, Italian, Spanish, Romanian, Mm -hmm. which a lot of people think Romanian must be more like Russian, but no, Rome, Mm -hmm. Romanian, Latin. So it's closer to our linguistic world than any other language, really. Another th- vocabulary side. Um, I don't. I haven't counted, so <laughs> I don't know the statistic exactly. But I have been told over sixty percent of all English words of three syllables or more are derived from the Latin. So that's huge. And what's kind of exciting is when you learn just the Latin vocabulary, you start to see into the meaning of words. And oftentimes, we make assumptions about words. And when we understand the roots, then we realize, ah, that word actually has a a different history, a different meaning, a different nuance. So it's kind of like x-ray vision into our own vocabulary.
1: Right. So I have a a story to share with you that I'd like you to help me figure out this word. So most recently, I returned from Northern California and we went to John Muir Woods National Monument and there are the towering redwoods and my husband wasn't on that trip I was there with my daughter-in-law and he said so so how were the redwoods and I said sublime and he says what does that mean I said well beautiful majestic wondrous awe-inspiring I don't know, sublime. And and then we had got into the conversation about the roots and why would sub, which means under, and lime, which means a fruit that you eat <laughs> or <laughs> sprinkle on your carnitas, why is that sublime?
0: Well, I highly doubt the lime part <laughs> is cognate with the word sublime, but it actually is from the Latin sublimis. Mm. So it's actually all one word, sublimis, meaning uplifted, high, or lofty. And while we think of sub meaning down, it can also mean up to Mm -hmm. a certain point. And limen would be perhaps the lintel of something. Mm. So it's sloping up to a higher place.
1: Mm. There you go. Yeah, Red no, West I didn't supply. know that.
0: I just happened to pull that right <laughs> up on the origin oh, section nice. of the merriam webster Dictionary. <laughs> you know, there's all sorts of things you would never really notice. For example, you're reading about a famous person named Agnes, mm-hmm. and you think, Agnes, that's a name. But of course, it's actually Latin for...
1: I'm sorry, I don't know. Sheep. Sheep, of course. Uh, right?
0: Agnus, right? <laughs> Agnus agni. It means sheep. And, of course, that's where we get in the Latin Lamb of God, mm, mm. Agnus Dei. Mm. So people were naming their mm. children yes. sheep, not because, oh, my kid is like a sheep, but, <laughs> ah, to mm-hmm. honor the Lamb of God. Mm-hmm. And Just little bits of understanding like that, I think, just enrich your experience as an English-speaking person.
1: Right. So I do know the vocabulary, and that's what we're talking about. I do know that when my boys were studying for their SATs, we did do the Latin Roots program to help them perhaps maybe dissect over a little bit to understand the meaning. So,
0: yeah. And I always say to people, you know, even if you can't bite the bullet and actually study and teach Latin, or you can't find someone to do that for your kids, at least do mm-hmm. the Greek and Latin word roots. Mm-hmm. At least do that. But so there's a couple reasons. So a Greek and Latin word
1: roots program, I'm just hearing people thinking, oh, what curricular recommendation do you have? And I, I think it's just going to A website and downloading a list of words and putting them on flashcards, right? You don't really need a curriculum to study Greek and Latin
0: roots. There are people who have published Mm -hmm. that type of thing. Some cases, flashcards. Mm -hmm. Other cases, workbooks. Mm -hmm. Yes, someone with a little bit of time and ingenuity could probably get from a website enough to teach with for quite a while. Mm -hmm. There are... Old school programs, such as English from the Roots Up, right. I think is still available. Mm-hmm. It's been around as long as I've been mm-hmm. homeschooling, mm-hmm. that's for sure. There's card games like Rummy Roots, uh, which is fun and mm-hmm. easy way to learn. There's workbooks. Memorial Press has some Word Roots workbooks. And maybe someday, Julie, <laughs> we will get around to publishing the best.
1: Right, You've been asking for this for a long
0: time. (laughs) Well, all things in their own season. Right. We we will hopefully do it. Listeners should not wait for us. Mm -mm. They should go find something that they like and use that. Or, better off, just start studying Latin. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Another thing that makes Latin a great language to study is that it's very consistent. Mm -hmm. It's got nice, orderly forms that fall into... Declensions and conjugations, they are very consistent. It is an inflected language, meaning that the word endings change as to how they're used. French is an inflected language. Japanese is an inflected language. You can hear a word and be almost certain what part of speech that is because it has a verb ending. So it must be a verb. It couldn't not be a verb. Whereas in English, we really don't have that same level of inflections. We change things a little bit, maybe between tenses, some minimal changes between cases, mm-hmm. pronouns in particular. Right. But it, that, that's minimal. So you can have a word like golf, G O L F, golf, and not know what part of speech it is. Sure. Because it could be a noun golf is fun. It could be a verb. We golf every day. Mm -hmm. It could be an adjective. Get in the golf cart. And so it's harder then to learn grammar in English because it's not as ordered that way.
1: Right. You'd have to put it in context.
0: Yes. And that's true for every language too. I mean, especially the more you get into it. But at least in the beginning, Latin has fewer exceptions It's consistent, Mm -hmm. it's pretty predictable, and you can start to read and write simple sentences very, very quickly. Mm -hmm. So that orderliness. In fact, you know, if you look at kind of the history of languages and grammar and phonics, it's fascinating because up until the Greeks took the idea of phonics from the Phoenicians, which is where... We get the idea that symbols have sounds Mm -hmm. rather than ideographs Mm -hmm. like Egyptian or Chinese or or kind of a system of code that isn't phonetically based like Sumerian. It wasn't until the Greeks adopted a phonics-based alphabet that it was possible to write something down very precisely.
1: So that you would speak it the same way, where whatever your region is.
0: Yes, exactly. So even Hebrew mm-hmm. doesn't have vowels, right. per se. It has strings of consonants, and you kind of have to guess, mm. based on your knowledge of the language, what vowels should go in between those consonants to make the word that should be here. Mm-hmm. A little bit like you or I could read text message yes. with letters left out, <laughs> because we know what It most likely is. Mm -hmm. Whereas, think of a poor, you know, Korean person trying to read a teenage American's text language. It's so true. And so, even Hebrew was a language that was more useful in reminding you Mm. of what you already knew, a written language. Because you've memorized so much. Because you've memorized so much. So, what that allowed for was what some people call the Greek miracle. Mm. And that was the recording accurately so that it could be transmitted through time, through place, exact ideas. Hmm. And so what happens then? You see an explosion of technology, explosion of literature, explosion of philosophy, and consequently political ideas. Mm -hmm. The Romans took that and adopted Greek and integrated with Latin and made it even more precise. Hmm. Some people say the Romans conquered the world with their army. Probably, more accurately, they conquered with the language because they could send precise, exact messages, and no one else in the ancient world really was Hmm. able to do that. Fascinating. This is uh, in a book, which I highly recommend. We don't sell it. (laughs) It's a very expensive little book. Okay. It's small And it's probably $30 or more. I don't know. The War Against Grammar Hmm. by uh, David Mulroy, I believe. Fascinating to see. You can almost track. He almost can show that there's a rise and fall of civilization with the rise and the fall of the attention to precise grammar.
1: So the grammar Nazis are now vindicated. They are vindicated. And of course,
0: a lot of us old cynical people will say, times are bad. People don't speak properly. No one's reading. Mm -hmm. Children don't respect their parents. The currency is debased. And we'd sound just like Cicero did in 55, you know. But the idea then of precision and Latin is another reason to study. One of my favorite reasons for Latin, mm-hmm. is that you can study it without feeling obligated to have to learn Latin conversation. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's a pure study. Mm-hmm. In the past, languages were studied so that you could read the classics in those languages. Right. Now we pretty much have this idea the reason you would study a language is so you can talk in that language. Right. And since nobody except a few very obscure weird people actually talk ever in Latin, there's no reason to study it. Mm -hmm. You know, I was talking to Cheryl Lowe, and she said uh, she went through the honors program at the University of Kentucky. Mm -hmm. I don't know how long ago it was, because that might reveal information about her age, but (laughs) it definitely was before you and I were in school. She said it was very rigorous, and that it was two years... Of foreign language was required. Mm. It was the hardest thing she did. She majored in biology, but she said French oh. was the most rigorous thing. Why? Because they were expecting those students to read Voltaire mm. in the original by the end of the second year of study. And so it was about understanding the written language for the purpose of being able to appreciate the classics. Sure. And uh, we don't see that too much anymore. And most people, it's its about, you know, how do you order a hamburger in Mexico or something? <laughs> I guess you just say hamburger. They'll know what you yeah, mean. Yes,
1: exactly. And Japanese as well. Yeah, Hambu- hamburger. Yeah, that's <laughs> <Yeah, hamburger. laughs> the same.
0: So there's a, there's a pure study element to Latin. And because you don't have to pretend that you're going to learn how to talk it right away, mm-hmm. you can relax a little bit. Mm-hmm. And so there's that element of it as well. Another thing that traditionally has been done in the study of language would be cross-translation. So you would take something in one language, translate it into the other language, compare and see how accurate your translation is with that, and then put that away, bring it out a few days later, and try to translate it back. Hmm. into the language it came from. This cross-translation is a discipline that helped understand both the the reading, the parsing, the decoding, and the encoding, the constructing of the sentences. And it's uh, quite reminiscent of our whole approach to keyword outlines and Franklin's notes, short hints of the sentiment in each sentence. And then yes, yes. Benjamin Franklin, yes. So that method is an imitation type Mm -hmm. of approach. And the the best way to learn how to read something is to be able to write something like that which you are trying to read, because Hmm. then you'll recognize it more easily.
1: That sounds like an entirely different topic that we could share sometime about how doing a keyword outline and then representing it on paper is actually a way to help children learn to read.
0: Well, yes, that could be a whole <laughs> podcast, Yes, <couldn't> it? <laughs> But these podcasts go by so quickly. They do,
1: and I think we're just about out of time with this one. Do you mind if we just do a part two and launch that I I week? think we
0: should because there's so many exciting things <laughs> about Latin that can still be discussed and, and more about grammar.
1: Great. Then we'll talk
0: to you then. Okay, next week.